You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Psalms. Who loves a good psalm? I love a good psalm, if you haven't gauged that already. Well, Psalm, psalm 131 is one of the, the shortest psalms in all of Scripture. It's actually only three verses long. How's that? But it's one of those ones that if you really dig into it, it's full of the life-changing truths that really can transform our lives if we, if we dig in and, and read it. As the great Charles Spurgeon says in his commentary on Psalm 131, he says, it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It speaks of a young child but it contains the experience of a man in Christ. The truths and the spiritual ways that are promoted in Psalm 131 are challenging. Why? Because they don't come naturally. They're counter-cultural things. They do not come easily to us, but they are the kind of postures and practices that are essential for us to embrace if we want to mature as Christians. And we don't want to be on milk. We want to be on solid food, don't we? We don't want to be immature this whole life, but we want to grow and continue to develop in faith and trust and reliance on Jesus. So what's Psalm 131 all about? Let's pray, and then we'll dig in together. Father God, we thank you so much for the blessing that your word is to us. We thank you, Jesus, for the divinely inspired, divinely written word, God, that we can base our very lives on. It's a sure thing. In a world in which so many things are not sure, so many things are are fluid or up to people's opinions, Lord, we know that your word is an anchor to our soul. And so, God, we pray today that as we look at your word, as we open our hearts to receive what you have for us today through this mini psalm, this three-verse-long psalm, we pray, God, that you would bring it alive to our hearts and challenge us and help us to grow deeper in authentic relationship with you. And Lord, as we do that, that would lead to even greater love and blessing and desire to serve others with your love too. So we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's Read from Psalm 131 together, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. It'll be up on the screen. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 131, it's it's a psalm of David, and it's part of a collection of 14 psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. Have you ever sort of, as you've been reading Scripture, noticed those little titles, often just right underneath the psalm number? Things like, a psalm of David, a psalm of praise, a song, a maskul, a prayer, a michtam, a shigayon, I think is how you say it, 
or like this one, a song of ascent. Why, why is it called a, a song of ascent? Well, traditionally, Psalms 120 to 134, the songs of ascent, they were sung by travelling Jews who were heading up, who were ascending to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the three annual Jewish festivals. And I love this. Historians explain that as people of God came from all over the parts, you know, just like we're spread out and we like to come back for Christmas or something, in that day people were spread out for work and living and stuff, but they would come back for these annual festivals. And as they came over and as they ascended up the hill to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh, they sung these praises that elevated God, that praised him, that exalted him. I don't know about you, but there's something beautiful about that kind of imagery that kind of comes to mind as, as you reflect on that. And scholars aren't entirely sure on the circumstances that David was experiencing when he penned this psalm, but generally agree that it's probably a couple of, couple of pretty significant events in his life. One, when David was being hunted down by Saul, and, was, and David was being repeatedly accused of having ambition for the throne. Do you remember that? So that was one. Or the other one was when David got, like I think any married man has got from time to time, maybe a little bit of a, a whack from his wife. Has that ever happened before? Don't agree with me, men, or you'll be in the doghouse. <laughs> Give another whack. Maybe it was in response when Michal, David's wife, accused him of being vulgar and undignified when he was dancing in the, profession, in the procession of the, the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. Whatever, whatever the context is, it doesn't really matter. It's just trivia for you, really. But this psalm is truly a powerful encouragement for all of us, for all of us to have a calmed and quieted soul before the Lord. And here's the thing, this spiritual state, this state of humility, this state of reliance on God is not something that is affected by circumstances. Just like we sang before, we'll worship God no matter what. No matter what happens, we'll continue to worship God. This humility and reliance on God is not affected by circumstances, but it can actually, and it does, transcend circumstances. As John Piper says, this psalm's about a kind of contentment or stillness or quietness of soul that is rooted not in circumstances but in God, a God who never changes in his utter commitment to us in Christ. And that is why this psalm is really good news for us. Because whether you're a Christian and you're listening to this today or whether you're seeking or whether you're an atheist, Ultimately, we all want the same thing in life. We want to enjoy life. We want to find contentment. We want to find purpose. We want to find peace. And Psalm 131 here actually guides us in how we can experience these things, irrespective of what we face in life through relationship with God. So in verse 1, David calls us to embrace a posture that really is super countercultural in our day and age today, isn't it? A posture of humility, a posture of reliance on God. You know, Psalm 131.1, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, 
My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too great and too marvelous for me. If you've read some Old Testament or some New Testament passages as well, you'd, you'd probably be aware that there's quite a few scriptures that warn about the dangers of pride and arrogance and thinking you're, you're too good, <laughs> that sort of thing. And, and on the flip side, it warns of the dangers of being proud but the wisdom of being humble. Proverbs 3.34 is an example. He, God, mock, pr- mocks proud mockers but shows favour to the humble and oppressed. Or James 4.6. This is a good one to memorise. I've memorised it so I don't get proud. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Read scripture and you'll discover time and time again that God sees humility as wisdom and pride as foolishness. In fact, in Proverbs 8, if you've read that before, it's the one clear passage in scripture where it lists things that God hates and actually hates, you know, detests, hates. It's a a strong word. And guess what's on that list? Pride. Pride. Why? Because pride is a trap for us, and it's a trap that we can all too easily fall into. Because, and the thing is, when we fall into it, when we're proud, we actually separate ourselves from God. God can't draw near to someone who's too proud and thinks he doesn't need God. Amen? Pride is a real trap. And this separation, it breaks God's heart. That's not his desire. He wants to be close to every single person on the face of this planet. He wants to have close relationship. He wants to know you more intimately than you've never known anyone else. That's God's heart. And that's why God hates pride so much, because it keeps people from coming close to him. So God is against pride, but he blesses and gives his abundant grace to those who choose the road less tread, the road of humility, the road of dependence on him. I love it how David does what preachers are not very good at doing. In just one verse, he lists three things, three traps. In about 10, 20 words, he says three areas in which we can all too easily get caught up in this pride trap. He says, one, in our hearts, two, in our attitudes towards other people, and three, in our knowledge. Now, Some of you might be thinking, well, that's great, but normally if you're humble, you don't tell everyone about how humble you are. And if you do, it's kind of hypocrisy and you're actually being proud. Yeah? That's kind of logic, isn't it? And I was kind of reading this as well and going, hang on, what's going on here? But one um, guy from the States, a pastor by the name of Ray Fowler, says, it really depends on who you're speaking to and the attitude when you speak. David's not boasting about his humility to others. Rather, he's confessing his humility to God. Humility begins with a focus on the Lord. Now, I really love that insight. And as I kind of thought on that and and processed that, you see it in this passage here. David starts out by focusing on God. What's What's the start of his humble cry? Oh, Lord. It's not, oh, peers, look at how humble I am. 
It's, oh Lord. It's a, it's a cry. It's just a humble cry of someone sitting down before his maker. Do you see that from that passage? You know, David's not boasting to other people about how humble he is and reveling in the praise and the admiration of others. Oh, David is a man of God, isn't he? Look at how humble he is. He's just sitting somewhere before his almighty God, just him and God, pouring out his heart to the Lord and saying, God, I'm humble before you here. I love you, Lord. He's confessing his heart and a desire to continue to be humble before him. All right, so let's jump and look at the first of three traps, the heart. David says in verse 1, my heart is not lifted up. What, what does that mean? Well, I believe that David's saying that at the, the deepest level of his being, he doesn't have any emotions or any kind of unspoken feelings or unhealthy desires that lead him to view himself as better than anyone else. You know, David's saying, essentially he's saying, I'm not thinking that I'm any better than anyone else. I'm not superior. I'm not craving anything. I'm not looking for position or power or recognition that would see anyone see me to be better than anyone else. Does that make sense? Can anyone here wholeheartedly say, I'm with David with that one? No, we can't, can we? If we're being hum humble and honest as well. You know, this is an area that we can all really struggle with, can't we? More often than not, we don't follow David in this path of humility. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned and stood in prideful opposition to God, because that's ultimately what sin is, standing in opposition in pride against God, thinking we know better than the maker of the heavens and the earth, Ever since then, mankind have been plagued with ideas of grandeur, haven't we? And if you don't know it already, which I'm sure you do, we're not immune from these prideful temptations and ideas of grandeur either. We can very easily get caught up in thinking we're the best at whatever it is we do or at some particular skill, that we're truly something. We can all too easily become proud in ourself in a really unhealthy way, where we actually exalt ourselves instead of exalting and lifting up our king as the true one worthy of all praise and honour. Would anyone agree with that? That's the first. And then in the next, David goes on for the second trap and he says, my eyes are not raised too high. What's David saying here? Well, David's saying, I believe that he's not going to lift his eyes up and look down on others with feelings of superiority or pride. And he's not going to allow those feelings of pride either to well up and be evident in how he treats people or even just within his heart, you know? He's not interested in putting other people down or getting caught up in the comparison trap of, well, look at me, I'm kind of, I'm nailing it here and that person over there, whoa, they're not doing well, making me feel good here. You know, his eyes aren't raised high, like, like that position of snobbery. Think about, you know, if you think you're better than someone, what often happens? This happens, your eyes go up, your nose goes up, 
and your eyes are raised high, aren't they? Thinking you're, thinking you're really something. And then what do we do from there? We look down on other people with arrogance, thinking that, hey, we got it together. But that's not where David's at, is he? And I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and suggest that maybe you're a little bit like me. Maybe you don't often walk with David in this kind of path of humility, in how we humbly view other people. Because if we're honest, often we don't. Often we, we almost make ourselves in some twisted, sick way, if we think about it, feel better by looking down on other people. You don't have to admit it, just... I can tell by the silence that you're all with me. You know, we, can, we all too easily fall into that kind of comparison trap. And as we look at, at others and become aware of their own shortcomings, we're very good at then honing in on those shortcomings and putting aside our own. Yeah? We're good at, and we can become quite judgmental and proud as we think about how sinful someone else is over there while overlooking our own sin and our own failings. And if we're not careful, this can cause us to cultivate this kind of feeling of pride and superiority and can then lead us to express it out, these feelings and actions of disdain and arrogance towards other people. And this is a pride trap that we can all easily fall into. And here's the third thing. In the last part of verse 1, David hits on another area of pride, pride in our knowledge. Verse 1, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me. What David's saying here is, is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? He's humbly acknowledging that before God, he doesn't actually know much at all. He doesn't know anything. He does, he's acknowledging that some things are well beyond his pay grade. Yeah? He's saying, as um, Ray Fowler, the pastor from the States, says, he said, I've learned not to walk above my means. I've learned not to reach beyond my grasp. I've learned not to expend great effort trying to do things beyond my ability or attempting to understand things beyond my comprehension. I'm willing to admit that there are things that I cannot do. Ooh. And many things I do not understand. And that's okay because my walk is humble, not proud. I'm not caught up in greatness or achievements or accomplishments. I maintain a lowly, humble walk before the Lord and I bow my knee to his great power and understanding. You know, I'll just say it. This is something that we can all struggle with too, isn't it? So often we'd like to think we're with David on this and just like, oh yeah, God, you know, you're God and I'm not, but our natural fallen state doesn't align with that. We live in a culture too. Our culture today is one that highly values knowledge, highly values the professional opinion of anyone, besides epidemiologists at the moment, <laughs> of anyone and elevates them to great status in our society, doesn't it? And I would say we can all too easily fall into the trap of, of really buying into this culture too and finding our identity or our own sense of value in our knowledge, in our ability to have an opinion on anything and everything and coming across as being really smart. Think about these examples. I'm sure you've never done this. 
It would just be me. But we can be pretty proud and share opinions on things that we don't actually understand the fullness of. Has anyone ever done that before? Don't admit it. No, you can. We're in church. That's right. (laughs) Just so so we can kind of have the appearance that we're wise and knowledgeable. So other people will look at us and go, oh, wow, that guy has, that guy's really smart. That's a really good insight. When actually, in our hearts, we know that we don't know anything about that particular topic and we've just heard a little soundbite off the radio and so we're going with that. We're too proud to admit that we actually don't have a handle on that particular thing. Here's another example. We often proudly acknowledge that some things are just simply beyond our understanding, don't we? You know, that there are many things in this life that we will never fully understand. And I love Alpha because it's an opportunity to ask those big questions and to wrestle with them. But at the very end, you know, when push comes to shove, when it's all boiled down, there are some things that no matter how much we wrestle with them, how much we work through them, we will just never fully have a grasp on this side of eternity. Yeah? We can be too proud to acknowledge that there's even not always a straightforward answer for every situation or season that we might face in life. We are, as sinful human beings, so susceptible to being proud in our hearts, in our attitude toward other people, and in our knowledge. Now, no doubt you're probably thinking about now, well, I come to church to be encouraged, Pastor Joel, and I am not encouraged right now. Well, I would say... Good. I'm glad you're not encouraged right now. Maybe you're actually feeling a little bit convicted as we've opened up God's word this morning. Maybe as I've been sharing, maybe you've actually come to realize that, you know what, I'm actually a whole lot prouder than I even thought I was. Like I sort of realized when I was preparing this message. Maybe you've come to realize that you've got a real issue with pride. And if you are in that place right now, I want to I say that that's actually a really good thing. It might feel very good. It might feel like you're not very secure right now, but it's a really good thing because that's the place that all of us need to be in order to truly move forward in life with Jesus. Amen? You know, if we stay kind of locked, firm in a posture of pride, thinking we can handle everything, thinking we're the best, thinking we're better than other people. We're setting ourselves up to be in opposition to God. Let me just say that straight. If we, if we stick firm and think we've got it all together and think we can handle everything alone, we are positioning ourselves to get caught in this pride trap. And when we do that, we're actually setting ourselves up in opposition against our almighty loving God who wants nothing more than for us to come near to him. It's a dangerous thing. And if we do that, we'll never actually be able to embrace the contentment, the stillness, the quietness of soul that we so desperately want to experience in relationship with God. Now, here's the good news in all of this. We can be humble. We can be humble only because... We serve and follow Jesus Christ who showed himself to be completely humble in every single way. 
Philippians 2, 6 to 11 says, Christ Jesus, who thought he was, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hear this this morning. Jesus humbled himself when he came down from heaven to earth. Jesus humbled himself when he took on the form of a servant being created in our likeness. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because Jesus remained humble to the very end, God exalted him. God exalted Jesus and gave him the name above every other name and made the way for anyone who trusts in Jesus to live and walk humbly like him through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. That's really good news. Hear this today. You can't be humble in your own strength. You, you just can't. It's not something we can conjure up from within because it doesn't come from within. It truly is a work of the Spirit in our lives. None of us can be humble in our own strength, but we can grow in humility as we follow the only one who has ever walked in true humility, Jesus Christ, and give Holy Spirit free reign to do what he needs to do in our hearts, to do what he needs to do in our lives and lead us in humility each and every day. And when we do, when we do this, and here's the link with the psalm, when we do this, beautiful things happen. We open ourselves up to experiencing the riches of relationship, the peace and the contentment that God, that with God that David talks of in verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. When we come to this place, we're able to be still before God. We're able to be truly content like a weaned child. If you've ever seen a non-weaned child before, you would understand the, the reverse of what a weaned, a picture of what a weaned child would look like. A non-weaned child, a child that's still dependent on milk, on breast milk or formula or whatever, is far from settled, okay? Come feed time, Judah, our little boy, he is ready. And if I'm holding him, that's just not going to cut it because he needs his mum. And he is far from settled and he won't be settled until he gets what he's looking for. And constantly moving, grizzling, frantically looking around, where, where's the milk coming from? But here's the thing, a weaned child, when a child is off milk, more often than not, when they're, when they're not grumpy and the end of the day and that sort of thing, they're just happy to sit there. They're just happy to sit there, content, at peace, in their mother or their father or someone else's lap, 
simply enjoying the reality that they're loved, that they're free to sit and be, and they've been held, and they enjoy that. The child is at peace and is calm and content, even if every other thing in the world is completely upside down. The child feels safe, secure, and completely at ease in a person's arms. And you see, this is an image of what David experienced and what he was testifying of before his God. And this is what each of us can experience ourselves too if we allow Holy Spirit to truly humble us before our Father. You know, we can find contentment in our Father's arms. We can experience peace. We can experience freedom, complete freedom, as we humble ourselves and find our identity and find our sense of worth and value, not in what others think of us, not in our talents, not in our bank balance, not in any other external thing, but solely in what God thinks of us. Who he says we are. In the simple fact that God loves us for who we are, people of great worth, because we're created in his image and he passionately treasures each one of us. We can be free to just bask in that simple place of knowledge and freedom. Amen? And this wonderful thing is that these blessings are something, as I said at the start, that are not dependent on external circumstances. These are blessings that can be experienced at all times. In the midst of a global pandemic, you can be content with your father like a weaned child is sitting in its mother's lap. In the midst of a a cancer diagnosis or some other horrible health situation, even in the midst of a relationship breakdown, we can find this sense of contentment and peace and hope and joy and freedom when we allow Holy Spirit to truly develop us in humility, to stretch us as humble people and embrace true dependence on God. And, you know, like Jesus says, whoever wants to find his life must lose it. It's the same sort of concept when we actually humble ourselves we're able to actually find life and be satisfied in the deepest parts of our soul like we all long to be. And now here's the link between one, two, and three. When we deal with our pride, when we humble ourselves with Holy Spirit's help, that's verse one, we're able to find contentment and peace in relationship with God, verse two, And this experience of contentment and peace naturally leads us to want to encourage others to find that same sense of contentment and peace that we ourselves enjoy. Verse 3. Reading verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I'm wondering today, friends, do do you have an issue with pride? Is pride something that you struggle with, if you're being honest with yourself? Is pride actually something that is keeping you from experiencing peace and hope and joy and the kind of abundant life that Jesus says is ours because of what he has done on Calvary's cross? And if you're here or listening online with us today and you're, you're seeking, you know, you're kind of like, man, 
I don't know about all this religion stuff, but I want those things. I want to find contentment. I want to find peace. I want, I want that assurance. I want just to not be stuck in this rat race of self-improvement and building a bank balance that I don't even know why I'm doing it and all these kind of things. Can I encourage you that, you know, we all want that, those things. They're all a natural desire and that's a natural desire that's been placed there whether you believe in him right now or not, by God, our creator. And that can only be fulfilled ultimately when we're in relationship with him. So if you're seeking, seeking today, if you're questioning, if you're with us and, and maybe you're a skeptic today, can I encourage you that the place that you're looking for is actually relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you want to know more about that, you can click on one of those links on the live stream and you can connect with us. And I'd love to make time to talk with you more about that. But in a very simple nutshell, it's actually what everyone, you and I, were created for. And if you're a um, Christian today and you know, you're know you sitting here and you're like, man, for whatever reason, I just, I've fallen into pride. I need to get right with God again. I just want to encourage you that he longs for you just to come. It's as simple as that. God doesn't hold anything against us. Isn't it great that even if we've been proud, God does not mirror our posture of pride. He remains eternally humble. He remains eternally with his arms open, just beckoning us to come, to come near. So if that's you, do that today. Reach out to him and just invite him to have his way and get you set back on track once again. That can be all of our experiences, wherever we're at. So, will you come to him today? Will you come to Jesus today and place your trust in him again or for the very first time this morning? We're just going to take one moment to allow Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and then I'm going to pray for all of us as we close this morning. Lord God, we just come before you humbly now, Lord. And we ask, God, that you'll continue to to humble us by your Holy Spirit. Because, Lord, we know that as much as we understand at at a brain level that you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble, Lord, we know and we it it's just so hard for us, God, because naturally we've been wired as a consequence of sin as a result of the me-focused culture in which we live today, we've been wired towards pride. 
And God, we just want to we just want to invite you to have your way to help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to continue to to break away at that trap in our lives. Lord, that we would not allow ourselves to fall into thinking that we're better than other people. That we would not allow ourselves, with your help, of course, Lord, to think that we just know it all and we ultimately almost even have no need for you, Lord. What a terrible position that would be for us to be in. So God, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to remain humble and walk in humility before you, God, so that we can enjoy you, so that we can experience freedom and life and hope in intimate relationship with you. But more than that, God, so that we can also then play a part in seeing other people come to know you and experience those same, those very things themselves as they seek out relationship with you. So God, for the Christian here today, Lord, who, who is battling with pride and has gone, you know what? That's me. I'm, I'm stuck in that trap, God. We pray by your spirit that you would supernaturally continue that breaking, breaking um, program, if you like, of just chipping away and chipping away and chipping away until that person can be truly free. Would they work with you, Holy Spirit, and not against you? And God, for those of us today who might be seeking or might be questioning or even just skeptic or even, a, even atheist, you know, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to their hearts right now and help them to understand at a deep heart level that these things, these, these blessings can be theirs if they would only turn to you. Because, Lord, as we know, the world promises so much yet fails to deliver in almost every way. Whereas, God, your promises for your people are great and you never fail, not once. And so, Lord, I pray that we would all humble ourselves and continue on a journey of humility as we allow you to have your way in our lives and as we follow you, Jesus, the only one who has ever been truly humble in every single way. So we thank you, God, for your word. And we pray that we would enjoy this transformation and we would see great fruit come from it in our own lives and in the lives of our church community, Lord. Because, Lord, we know that when we are humble and when we are, we are just humbled ourselves before you and we are seeking your face, truly great things happen. So, Lord, would you do that in us and do that in our church and do that, Lord, not for, only for our good, Lord, but for the good of others too. So we pray this, Jesus. In your name, Jesus. Amen.